Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm Senior Editor with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking today with Felix and Kate Gaines, who is Research Director with Gartner. And we're going to be talking about IDAM or IAM, the different flavors of it, the evolution it's seen, where it works and where it doesn't. And we'll also be touching upon privileged access management. Hi, Felix. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Varun, for having me. My pleasure. Felix, IAM is one of those things in security that's been around for years. It's supposed to be so mature and so well-structured, but really isn't, is it? Well, I guess it's like everything in security. It just keeps evolving, just like our business models and uh, the way we work. And yeah, identity and access management became pretty popular about uh, 15 years ago. A lot of it was compliance-driven, mm-hmm. uh, when many of the companies got slapped around by their editors for not knowing exactly who had access to what and who authorized them in the first place. And you had people leaving and still having access to their company cars, to <laughs> to their building passes, and of course, to information systems itself. Sure. So uh, the whole idea at the beginning was to clean all of that mess up and to actually understand what was really happening, who has access to what, why, when, and and uh, we started uh, to see this evolve. Uh, some of the other things that became very, very popular were single sign-on, where you didn't have to memorize so many passwords anymore. You needed one master password. You could just use that to sign on to all of your corporate resources. And it evolved from there. One of the things that is probably easiest to, to gain value with, with identity and access management, apart from single sign-on, is privileged access management. Sure. Think about it. A lot of people have access that a regular user wouldn't have. They can bypass existing security rules. They have super user access, administrative access to your systems. And yet, many organizations aren't really addressing this in the right way. They're addressing it as if it was just regular user access. That's not the right way to do it. Privileged access requires special controls. What we're also seeing right now is that we have a proliferation of cloud services. And that makes things even more complex as our information is all over the place. We have to track it. If you look at cloud services themselves, they're like a microcosm of identity itself. Uh, Every platform as a service has its own identity management system behind it. And um, virtualization is another one. We started virtualizing also about 15 years ago. Is that mature? Well, probably is, like, um, from from what we used it for. But now we have micro virtualization. We have containers. (laughs) That's the latest thing. So everything's being chopped up and split up and and, uh, being spliced up into smaller pieces. With identity access management, it's the same thing. So I think what you're essentially saying is initially it was compliance-driven, but maybe over time it hasn't really matured to the extent it should have. There are some shackles of the old way of thinking and the old world garden approach that still exists. Oh, oh, it is definitely evolving. I think the biggest evolution that I've seen, most of them are not really just looking at compliance anymore. Compliance still is a good reason that you can use to get the funding to your initiative, Mm -hmm. but most organizations by now understand that it really is about security itself, about becoming more secure rather than just checking the boxes. And uh, companies are also starting to understand that IAM is not a project. They understand it's an initiative. It's like security. If I told you we're going to do an IT security project and then we're secure, you would probably laugh at my face. The same thing is true with identity and access management. Things always evolve. We get new systems. uh, We replace applications. We change our business processes. So it's an initiative. It never ends. It needs funding every year. So you need to put it on a proper footing. In your experience, when you speak to your peers or constituents, 
what are some gaps that you find in the way IAM is approached, IAM or IDAM is being approached, and what are some ways to remediate that in this day and age? So um, there are several things. One of them is specifically in terms of consumer identity and access management. The proliferation of accounts that we have as individual consumers is just uh, it's just madness. I don't know how many accounts you have. I probably have um, I don't know three or four hundred of them. And okay, I actually do use a personal password manager to use a different password for each of them, and that's maybe you know that that uh, is a bit like an aspirin. It does take the pain away, but it's pretty crazy. So what we've seen emerge. Uh, is a central identity mechanism where people like to use a social media provider such as Facebook or, or Google to sign in and sign up to other services. That's very convenient, but it's actually pretty creepy because you know Facebook knows everything I do. They know whenever I log on somewhere. They know everything that, that I do on, um, on these particular things. And do I really want to centralize so much power and knowledge inside about me into these types of companies? We've seen some other mechanisms uh, emerge in uh, the north of Europe um, where banks and financial providers that have already gone to great lengths to make sure that they understand and know their customers uh, realize that they're actually sitting on a gold mine. Um, and in some of these countries, it is possible to use your bank ID to sign up for other services. In uh, some countries such as Sweden, and uh, the Netherlands and Denmark, you can actually use your bank ID in order to sign into uh, government websites and um, ask for government services. We've seen initiatives such as GSMA uh, Mobile Connect where you could use your SIM card uh, that is registered to you or you know, your mobile operator has already authenticated you and has uh, proof your identity, leverage that in order to sign up for other services. That hasn't really caught on, unfortunately, and I'm not exactly sure what's holding it back. I, I think it's uh, perhaps that many of the identity management um, solution providers have really integrated with GSMA, uh, Mobile Connect, and the mobile operators somehow aren't really realizing that they are sitting on a potential goldman because they could just offer identity proofing and multi-factor authentication for everybody that uses their service. It, it is uh, pretty, pretty much a slam dunk business case, but we haven't really seen this evolve too much. And now the next thing is decentralized identity, where you really control your own identity. There is a trust fabric that holds the whole thing together, such as with the internet, but you control exactly what you expose to other providers about you, and that identity is portable. It can be proved and verified by other entities. They, they, they will sign this. So, for example, you could be in charge of your own identity, but it could be vouched for by the Indian government, for example. Sure. Then you could use that everywhere. And this is really interesting. Uh, some of is uh, blockchain based and I think we're going to see many more of these use cases evolve in the next, the next few years. Yeah, talk to me a bit more about blockchain. I mean, can you speak to some of the use cases that blockchain would have in identity in terms of authentication or replacing or a complementary authentication mechanism? Are there any use right. cases being explored? So there are really two ways. When we think about authentication we very often just think about identifying known people. Uh, but equally interesting is the use case of identifying people that we don't know yet. So, in other words, if you have a service to offer, I want to sign up for it. So now we have to go you know, through the ceremony of me actually proving to you who the heck I am, right? I could do this by flashing an identity card, but that's inconvenient because we'd have to have some kind of face-to-face -face interaction. We could do it over a video link and all of that, but what if I just had my identity um, 
centralized myself. It w- if it was signed on the blockchain by somebody who would, who would vouch for me, and if I could effectively control the release of particular attributes about maybe you don't need to know how old I am. Maybe you just need to know, yeah. you're looking at me, you know I'm over 18. I, unfortunately, I don't get asked for that anymore. But uh, you might not really know, uh, need to know that my real age is 49. Uh, it's perfectly fine to know that I'm of legal age. You maybe don't need to know exactly which address I live at because uh, you're not going to ship me anything, but it could be enough to know that I'm living in this particular city or in this particular state because the service that you offer has certain bounds in terms of uh, what its geographical coverage is. So I can decide what to expose about you. And then the blockchain is being used as distributed uh, ledger mechanism to provide that trust fabric. Okay. So let's segue back into privileged access management in the enterprise sure. context, right? So with um, what are some of the developments that have happened and what are some of the challenges that still persist? Okay, so what has happened is that many companies have finally started to bring their privileged accounts under control. And that, that's a very good thing because they're all over the place. What's happening right now is that, you know, once you start using a password vault to store the credentials of administrative users or, or shared accounts, now you're looking at service-to-service accounts and application accounts because a lot of the problem is really lurking under the surface. When you have an application, for example, that needs to talk to a database, and that application has a username and password to connect to the database stored in clear text in a configuration file. That's a huge risk. Or some other really bad use cases are a developer who hard-coded a username and password within the code. I mean, it's it's absolutely mad, but it happens more often than you would think. So this is what is right now in focus for those organizations who are trying to get to the next level in terms of privileged access management. What we also see is that with proliferation of infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, now suddenly you have these hundreds of thousands of objects that need permission to other hundreds of thousands of objects. So you have this mesh of permissioning going back and forth, which you can't really solve with a classical traditional IM approach. You really have to orchestrate security policies across all of this infrastructure. DevOps is another way. Um, many companies are trying to get more agile, and there we see privileged access controls become really important as well as, as new systems are being build as part of deployment and continuous integration. So if I were to ask you, you know, uh, just two or three recommendations that you would share right off the top of your head, maybe some of the things that can help address these issues. Okay. All right. So let me start by saying if you are an organization and you're trying to reduce risk yourself, I would definitely, if you haven't already done so, start a privileged access management initiative. That is one of the sure ways to rapidly reduce risk. You can very quickly gain a fairly drastic reduction of risk. And you know, once that has happened, then the remaining residual risk takes a bit longer to address, but it's it's a major impact on the residual risk. So if you haven't started doing that already, you should. And if you're already in a process of, of doing so, take a look at your privileged operations model and make sure that you optimize and find you, make sure that you discover all of this. In terms of consumer identity and access management, I would take a very good look and say, am I potentially sitting on a gold mine? Do I have a lot of verified customers? 
if so, I could potentially leverage that and uh, offer my customers to host their identity in order to sign on to other services. If not, then I would try to make it as convenient as possible for my customers to register, but also make sure that uh, I try to be as good as possible in terms of protecting their privacy. If I ask too much information, private information is, is a bit like toxic waste. This is right now what a lot of companies are starting to realize with GDPR. We're sitting on a big toxic dump of personal information and why are we collecting in the first place? We don't even use that. If we're not using it, we shouldn't collect it in the first place. Great. Thanks, Felix, for that timely and very articulate answer. Absolutely. My pleasure, Ronald. And thank you very much. So that was Felix Kipkins, who's Research Director of the Gartner for ISMG. This is Varun Thanks for listening.